One Hope Church. That we have, and so let's not um, take that for granted by any means. It's so easy to take things for granted, especially, you know, things that are good. Um, and so we need to remember not uh, to do that and to really focus in on the goodness of God and how wonderful the Lord is. And so we're going to continue this morning through our study um, of the Gospel of John. We're going to finish chapter 4 and, and get started into chapter 5. We won't finish chapter 5 today, um, but we'll get a good um, start in it to about verse 24. And so just excited about this um, passage this morning. As with all Scripture, um, there's just so you know, much uh, to take from it, um, to learn and to apply um, to our lives. So let's strive to do that with open hearts and minds before the Lord um, this morning. And may God ultimately be our teacher through the Holy Spirit. And so let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with great thanksgiving that um, you sent your Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And we're thankful that you give eternal life to each one um, who comes to you in faith and um, with sincere heart. Lord, we, we know you do not turn those away. And so we are thankful this morning um, for your mercy um, in our lives. And we pray that we would continue to learn from your word this morning, that you would use it to instruct us and, and teach us and that uh, those who know you would be even more equipped to live for you. And so we ask it for your glory and for your honor, dear Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. And so I just want to finish where we left off in John chapter 4. If you remember, Jesus was with the woman um, at the well and, um, you know, she is there, you know, it's kind of interesting, her day radically got shifted as she just went to a water to, you know, a well to get some water, and there she encounters Jesus, who knows everything about her and exposes, you know, her life, um, not as, a, as an I got you, but as a, um, a way to show both who he is and who she is and her desperate need for him, just as each of us are desperate for Jesus. Let me say that again. You know, each one of us, like if you if you don't if you don't have Jesus today, you are desperate for him. And if you have him today, if you didn't have him today, you would be desperate for him. Desperate for Jesus. Um, and he radically changes her life, but and then and she's a Samaritan, so she's part Jewish, part Gentile, not accepted by either. Um, and the Samaritans in that area then, as she gives testimony of what Jesus had done in the conversation with her, you know, some believe then, and then they, they um, ask Jesus to stay. And he stays for two days, and they say this in verse 41, the Samaritan said, many more, it says, many more believe because of his word, and they, that's the Samaritans, were saying to the woman, it is no longer because what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. That's so powerful. And after two days, he went 
forth from there into Galilee. So really it's after they had believed and heard him, you know, then he stays two more days and he's able to, you know, instruct them as they are now new disciples. They are new creations. Um, you know, they're, they've passed from death to life. They were headed to hell and now they're headed to heaven. Everything has changed for them. And Jesus gives them instructions and, um, you know, sometimes we wish more was recorded because we'd love to have, you know, what were all of those conversations for those um, two days that Jesus had uh, with the, you know, Samaritans and how he would have um, explained things um, to them. And so it says when he came to Galilee, it says the Galileans received him having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves also went to the feast. And therefore he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he had heard that Jesus came out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. And the royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. Stop there for a minute, because I really want us to get that scene as um, Jesus is back in Cana where he had turned water to wine, where he had done his first sign. And then this, this man from Capernaum, you know, he's traveled because he heard that Jesus was there and he knows that Jesus is the one that could heal his sick son. And he's concerned that if he doesn't get to Jesus, you know, his son is going to die. If he can't get Jesus to go back with him and to heal his son, his son might die. And you, and you can sense his urgency and yet Jesus is, using you know, this situation to talk to everybody. Because he doesn't say to him, you know, unless you believe, he says, unless you people, like, unless you all see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. Like, you always want to see more proof, and it's kind of like it's never enough. You know, that the... Um, Jesus is kind of telling them in, in a certain way, they're kind of like children, you know, who you give something to, and then they're like, one more, and one more, and at a certain point you get frustrated because it's like, will you ever be satisfied? Like, when is enough enough? And this is early on in Jesus' public ministry, and he's already, you know, frustrated with the people because, you know, instead of just believing God at his word and, you know, hearing the truth of the, you know, fulfillment of all the prophecies of the Old Testament and all the evidence, because, you know, this isn't just about the miracles that Jesus did in his public ministry. This is about, you know, all the miracles that were done in the Old Testament and all the prophetic, you know, words and everything is ultimately, you know, fulfilled in, in Jesus. So it's not like, hey, just one, you know, one more thing on, on one more thing. It's like one more thing on hundreds of things.
but you know, this, this man is not in a position to argue you know, with Jesus. He's, he's not, you know, he doesn't want to get into a theological um, thing or, or into a, you know, he, he knows he can't, you know, um, you know, he, he, he doesn't have a case. All he can do is just plead for his son. That's all he can do. Just plead for his son, which he, which he does. So I come down before my child dies. And there's an obvious faith there. He's like, you know, if Jesus, if you come, my, my child's going to be healed. And Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. And here's the evidence. You know, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. You know, if he hadn't believed that, and he knows his son at the point of death, he would have kept on, no, Jesus, you have to come with me. Like, we've got to go now. You know, but he doesn't continue to try to convince Jesus to go with him. He takes Jesus at his word. When Jesus says, go, your son lives, the man goes. The man goes. He said, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. You know, this official was a man with authority over others, and he would speak, and they, people would do. And he humbles himself. He knows he's not the one in charge in this situation. Jesus has spoken, and that is it. Folks, how good for us to learn this lesson? How good for us when Jesus makes something you know, clear to us, you know, God makes something clear to us through the Holy Spirit, through Scripture, and you know, we're supposed to do something. How good for us when we just go and do? You know, just go and do what we were told. You know, I mean, and if you think back on your life, if you've had those moments where you know it was clear, like the Lord, you know, the Lord wants me to do this, or the Lord doesn't want me to do this, and you have just, you know, like, simply and swiftly obeyed? Can you think back to any time in your life where you've simply and swiftly obeyed what God has commanded you to do, and you're like, man, I really regret that. <laughs> Boy, I regret that. No, that's not how it works. When you swiftly and simply obey what Jesus has asked you to do, there comes peace and joy with that. But when we don't, when we keep on Jesus more and more and more and more, we don't have, when Jesus makes it clear and we hesitate, we do suffer loss, you know, from that. Not because of the Lord, but because of us. In verse 51, it says, as he was now going down, his servants met him saying that his son was living. So obviously there's been a tremendous, a radical change of improvement. It said, verse 52, so he inquired them of the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives and he himself believed and his whole household. So, and they said, this again is the second sign that Jesus performed when he come out, came out of Judea into Galilee. And so, you know, he had to travel back and, you know, he couldn't just like, 
hopping is like today. If you're in Israel and you want to go between these two places, I mean, you know, you've, you've, if you've got a if you've got a car, you can zip, zip right there, and you know, it's not going to take very long. But you know, by foot, it's going to take a bit, you know, and you can't, you know, oftentimes you can't travel, you know, through the night and you have to stop. And you know, he has, I'm sure, just joyful anticipation because of his faith. You know, he has. And Jesus has joyful anticipation of what he's going to find, and his servants meet him and explain to him what had happened. And, you know, then now his faith has gone from, you know, I think we see it where there's a transition of his faith from Jesus as, as the one with power to heal to Jesus is much more than that. You know, he's the, he's the promised Messiah. Because he believes, his whole household believes, because they, you know, had testimony of what happened. It wasn't even just, it, it wasn't just that the son was healed, but also the timing of it. And there's so many times where the event itself you can explain, but the timing of the event you cannot. We see that in scripture um, numerous times, and we see that in our own lives. Um, the timing of God at play. Think how many times you've, you know, an, an hour or a day late or an hour or a day early and it's missed, and yet God is right on time. You know, and, and I think sometimes we, when, when our plans get altered, we get so quickly frustrated. Sometimes we need to stop and remember maybe maybe you were spared from something or maybe you were given an opportunity for something. But if we're only focused on our plan and the frustration of our plan not coming through, we can easily miss what we were spared from or the, you know, the th those thoughts or to pay attention to what may be there in this different time than we had anticipated that was on our schedule. And if we aren't looking for it, we might miss what God has done. You know, think about this. You're on your way somewhere and you have a delay. Perhaps the delay is so that you can share the good news of Jesus Christ with someone that is there at that same time and place. But if you're so frustrated and so worried about the fact that your schedule wasn't kept, are you going to see that person with spiritual eyes and see the opportunity to share the love of Jesus with that individual. Could be a numerous other reasons. That's just one example, you know, at play. But especially, we have to be, as, as followers of Jesus, we have to be especially mindful of this because we have such a high cultural value for on time and schedule. And I'm not saying that that's like, a, you know, like this terrible thing. I'm just saying we have to acknowledge that we have, we have that mindset. And so it's harder for us to see God working when we're off schedule or interrupted, when our plan gets interrupted, because it's such a high cultural value, right? So things that your culture values are going to be harder <laughs> To, when those things don't go that way that that cultural value or that personal value that you've assigned to it has, 
it's harder to see the Lord's work in that, you know, when things get shifted. It just is. And every culture is going to have its thing. So I'm not like, you know, take it how, how I'm giving it in that every single culture has the things that it values. And when God does something different in his economy, it can be difficult to get past your cultural thoughts or your personal you know, preference thoughts and see it through the viewpoint of God. And so we have to be mindful that we're all, you know, that we're influenced by those things, and that's why we really need to have spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear. And we don't just rely on our cultural or our personal defaults. We all have a default, right? We all have exact, you know, how we will normally operate. Every last one of us has we will, how we will normally operate. Well, folks, for myself and for you, God doesn't have the same operating system. He doesn't, he's not obligated. You know, God's not like, you know, well, Chet really likes it this way. So we're just going to change everything to how he likes it. You know, God, God doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. You know, he seeks what's best for us. Not necessarily what we like the most or what we're most comfortable with. And there are times like where God has to make us uncomfortable. if there's going to be progress. There's times where we just have to be uncomfortable if there's going to be progress. But what a beautiful story here, and this man believed in his whole household, and, you know, ultimately, when we see, and we see in, here in four, chapter 4, and we're going to see it again here in chapter 5, when, when Jesus heals it's for a purpose and it's for a bigger spiritual purpose than just a physical healing so unfortunately this this in a lot of sectors has or places has gotten missed like yes Jesus heals and and you know we believe I mean Jesus in a variety of ways can, still can and does heal today but it's not you know, it, it, we miss it out if we think it's just about a physical healing. It's obviously not just about a physical healing because guess what happens to every person in the scriptures that Jesus healed in the Gospels? They all eventually got sick again. They all died. Every last one of them. Now, they were given gift of more years, of more time, right? But even Lazarus, who Jesus raises from the dead... He's not, he's not walking in here today feeling like it's been great to be alive for about 2,000 years. No, he died again. It's temporary. There's a spiritual component, though, that's permanent. And so when people today, in, in a lot of groups, they get so focused on this like physical healing and then that becomes like all-encompassing. 
And then faith is based on like whether or not people are being physically healed or not. You know, it gets blown out of proportion and the focus gets altered to what the purpose of God is in it. Because let's look at John chapter 5 and we're going to see this. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethsaida, having five porticos. That's archaeological, like there's proof of that. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. It's longer than a lot of people in this room have been alive. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. So let's stop there for a minute and then we'll continue. But I want to go back to a couple things here. And this is an interesting story because as we read this, it's kind of unusual. It's like not what you expect to read, that there's this pool, that sick people are around it, that occasionally an angel of the Lord comes and stirs up the water, and whoever's in first gets healed, and then everybody's got to wait again. Like, that seems a little bit like, huh, why is that? Right? Like, that's not, you know, what we would necessarily naturally expect. Why is that, and why is it done that way? And I would argue it's probably all done that way here to set up this event where Jesus is going to come and to use this again as proof of who he is and to create a necessary conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders. He sets up a necessary conflict. Because there's something here that we need to see and we need to understand that can be difficult for us. Jesus picks out this one man who had been sick a long time and couldn't get in. But what does it say? It said there was a, a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lamed, and withered. Could Jesus have healed every last one of them right there and then? Absolutely. With no, with no doubt, Jesus could have done that. But instead, he picks one. Now, he had picked one who had been suffering for a very long time, but others were there suffering as well. Others had been there suffering as well. And we don't see anything about this man having any sort of unusual amount of faith. He doesn't initiate anything with Jesus. 
Jesus comes and initiates something with him and says, do you wish to be made well? And then the man tells his story of yes, but here's what happens. There are probably a good number of other people there who could have told the same story because it's whoever gets there first, right? So there's how many other other people have a similar story of getting beaten to the water because of their particularly, particular, you know, problem. And so we learn from this, because you know, I think some, people, you know, oftentimes will preach this false thing that, you know, well, this person had cancer and they, they made it through and, and, and got out of it because, you know, they had this faith and this other person had cancer and they didn't get out of it. You know, the cancer won because they didn't have faith, enough faith. And, and that damages that sort of wrong theology, damages people and damages you know, the faith of people. Um, throughout the scripture, we see, you know, Lord, this is what we want. Nevertheless, your will be done. And the reality of it, folks, is there are times where we don't know why. We don't know, we don't know fully why this guy and not another guy in a very similar situation. But Jesus is going to use this for his glory. And what I want us to consider this morning is that whatever you go through in life, you know, it can be used for the glory of God, depending on your, you know, your attitude and your approach and like, God can still be glorified in it, even if we're not getting exactly the outcome that we would pick. Because we would all pick the healing, right? I mean, that's the outcome we would all want in every situation. But that's not the outcome we often get. Does God still receive glory? And the answer is... If our hearts are with him, then yes, he does receive glory and all of that. And in this, I want to be careful, and we'll talk about this a little bit more as we go on, but we don't, we don't want to minimize, you know, we don't want to minimize suffering. Suffering is real and it's awful, and when you're going through it, it's painful or someone else is going through it, it is painful and we can't, you know, we don't want to um, just kind of sweep that under the rug. But we also know that God's grace is sufficient for all things. Whether we get the outcome we want or that we don't. So Jesus heals this man and tells him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Now, 
at this time, the Jewish religious leaders said you could not pick up your possessions from a public place and carry them to a private place on the Sabbath day. That that was wrong. Don't do that. Serious consequences if you do that. But the man who just healed him told him, pick up your pallet and walk. Verse 10, so the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. Because they viewed that as work. Right? The man carrying his pallet is, you know, they, the, the, in the Sabbath, you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. You know, look, if Jesus hadn't done, if Jesus had not died on the cross, and brought in a new covenant that fulfilled the obligations of the old, everybody in here was sinning yesterday. Everybody in here did some types of work that you weren't supposed to be doing on the Sabbath day. It was not a day of just rest and worship and joy for you. It was other things. People were like, oh, I, you know, when people say like, oh, I keep the Sabbath, like, really, let's have a video camera and see how really, you know, put on a body cam, let's see you keeping the Sabbath. You don't keep Sabbath. Very few people do today. Now, there are still some, you know, devout, you know, Jewish people who, you know, haven't recognized that Jesus is the Messiah, and they do keep, you know, the Sabbath. And so there are a long list of things they're not going to do on that day. But we're not under the law. Um, we're not under the law of Moses. Um, you know, it's, it's all been fulfilled. Now, there's some principles there that we still should probably pay a little more attention to than we do, and we can talk about that. But in this case, you know, they've, you know, they've added on and they've got uh, more to it, but also Jesus here is doing more than just pointing out that they have overemphasized and made extra regulations to the Sabbath. He is establishing the original like purpose and point, and ultimately that he's the fulfiller of it. He's over it. Like he's not obligated to the Sabbath. Like if it, if it's anything, it's the other way around. Okay? Because he's Lord over everything. That's ultimately his point. His point is actually, I think, less hey, you guys are emphasizing these rules, you know, incorrectly or putting too much on this. And it's kind of, it's like, no, whole system's changing here. Whole system's changing. So they've confronted him, verse 11. The man who was healed says, but he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. <laughs> he's, he's like, he kind of knows he's in trouble. And he's like, but, but the one who actually, you know, I was down there, I couldn't walk. He told me to pick up and walk, so I, I got up and walk. Like, it wasn't me. It's the one that, you know, had authority to heal me. Had, he told me to do it. I guess he got authority to tell me to pick up my pallet and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk. But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. See, in this case, 
Jesus doesn't identify himself. He doesn't say, like, he, he doesn't, you know, even give his name. He just has a conversation with a stranger, heals him. So he's setting things up. And then afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Okay. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. So let's, let's stop for a minute. I want to go back just a little bit here. When Jesus says to him, people often miss this one, Behold, you become well. Do not sin anymore so nothing worse happens to you. You know, a lot of people kind of think like, okay, so if this man sins, then he's going to get, you know, an, another like a, a sickness or, or something like that. But what Jesus is trying to get him to, to recognize is that there's something worse a lot worse that can happen to you than just getting like sick again. You know, you're, you, could, you, could have, you could have spiritual problems. Spiritual problems are always going to be greater than your physical problems. And what's the answer to this man's issue with sin ultimately? Jesus himself. Like he, he's provoking in a certain sense even this man who he's healed who again, didn't come to him because he had any sort of great faith. It's different than the story before, where the man's like, has faith that at least Jesus can heal, and then has faith, you know, to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Like, it's not like that. See, each case is different. In this case, this guy, you know, didn't know who Jesus was, wasn't thinking Jesus could be the Messiah, wasn't thinking Jesus could heal him. Jesus just went and picked him. And now he's provoking him in the sense, like, and this provocation is, again, when Jesus provokes, it's for people's good. Like, so when he, he's provoking him, because how's the man not going to sin anymore? Like, that's kind of the point. Like, if Jesus says, like, don't sin anymore, I mean, you got to sit there and go, but, but Jesus, so you... Like, do you want me to be per- like perfect, perfect, perfect? Like, no, like zero more sins. Like, we know the scripture tells us that that's not possible until we are no longer burdened by the flesh that we carry around. We receive everything. We're already a new creation spiritually, but we receive everything new, new, and we don't carry around the sinful flesh. So again, it's provoking. Because this man ultimately needs Jesus. And and again, in this story, we we don't have any recognition. It's possible that it happens later. But at least initially here, we don't, ha- we don't have any great statement of, of faith from this one who was healed. In, in fact, we find him going and telling the Jewish people, hey, I can actually tell you who it is now. It was Jesus. Like, really, d- don't want to be in trouble with you. 
So just because Jesus heals him doesn't mean that ultimately he's okay spiritually, like for then and forever. Doesn't mean that. Just means that he didn't have that physical problem anymore. He still has to make spiritual decisions. And his first one is to go and tell the Jewish leaders, hey, it was actually Jesus. That's not a great sign. So they come after Jesus, and he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. He doesn't say your father. He doesn't say our father. He says my father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Like, the Jewish people understood the claim. The Jewish leaders understood the claim, and for this reason they sought to kill him. Because to them, this was blasphemy. And we need to recognize that the worst thing a person could do is not to be God and claim to be God. Like, that's about as bad as it gets. You know, for a human, for a, a mere mortal, a mere human being to make the claim, like, I'm not just a human, I'm actually deity. I am God or a God or anything like that is about as bad as it gets. To refer to someone who isn't God in deified terms is also really bad. Like when we say, like, it's an, I mean, folks, like, it's serious. Like when we say Jesus is God. We are either stating the greatest truth ever or the greatest blasphemy, like as great a blasphemy as you can make. Like, y'all get that? Like, it's one or the other on that. If he is, you're speaking the greatest truth. If he's not, you're, you're, you're telling this tremendous lie. Well, um... Not to get too much, too much into it, when I was in university, we had the, went to a small university in North Carolina, and we had, you know, the Dalai Lama comes in and speaks, and one of, I remember sitting there in this small, I mean, a room that's, well, probably about as big as this, in the area that we were in, in terms of some students, it was, you know, it was kind of crowded students, and some faculty, some high-ranking U.S. officials, and the Dalai Lama. And I'll never forget one of our Senators who would have told you, oh, I'm a, I'm a Christian, refers to the Dalai Lama as His Holiness. Really. See, that's not a compatible claim with the claim of, of Jesus. Now, and we, and we were all instructed. We, we were all instructed because we were able to, it was a 
question and answer, and we could ask questions and this sort of thing. And we were all instructed, you know, refer to him as your holiness. No. Not going to do it. Can't do it, won't do it. I mean, could do it, terrible sin, not going to do it. <laughs> not going to do it. Say, sir, can be respectful, but I'm not going to ascribe to you deity if you're not. See, it's not compatible. You see, Jesus can't be our holiness and the Dalai Lama, like, is, is one or the other. You gotta make choices in life. You gotta make real choices, real decisions. And so, you know, I really, um, you know, with that, and, and it was interesting, yeah, I just finished that one real quick because there's, you know, in the, in the story, and I, you know, I got to ask my, my question, and my question was about, you know, who he thought Jesus was. And his answer was, I mean, I've read the Gospels, and, you know, Jesus seems like a good teacher. Okay. So, you know, here and here, but things are really here and here. See, there's a difference. There's a difference. And, um, you know, we have to make clear choices, clear decisions on those things. But they understood, the Jewish people here understood that Jesus was making himself equal with God. And therefore Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself and let it something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Now, there's a couple points there that we really have to make clear. Because what Jesus is doing is he's showing them that there is this connection between himself and the Father and that they are completely in agreement. One doesn't go off one way and do one thing, and the other one go off the other way and do other thing. That he, his first statements have to do with the fact that he is doing exactly what the Father wants him to do. That's where he begins. The Father is doing these things. I'm not doing anything different than the, the Father you know, wants me to do. Is that instructed me that there's a, the compatibility, like we are doing we are on the same page. And then he shifts it the other way. You know, because he says, well, first he's like, I'm doing what the Father wants. 
And now we're doing the same thing for just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son also gives life to whom he wishes. Reminds back um, to one of the kings of Israel. Remember when Naaman was going to be, you know, had leprosy and the um, Syrian king sends the message to the king of Israel and says, you know, can you, you know, I'm sending Naaman to you to be healed. And what's the king's reaction? It's like, you know, am I God that I can do this sort of thing? You know, Jesus here, as the father raises the dead and gives him life, even so the son also gives life to whom he wishes. He, as King Jesus, can do that. No problem. No problem at all. And then he gives a distinction. So he, and then he says something that he does that the Father is not going to do. And it's because the Father has given it to him. He says, for not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. And again, for people who want to make Jesus um, something that he's not, or to ignore certain aspects of his deity and his like roles and responsibilities the message here is clear like Jesus judges Jesus judges he's the one and he's the, and it's right that he's the one who judges because you know when you when you think about this Jesus is given to us in the scripture as you know, the rock that you can build your, your life on, or he's the, the rock that you're, you know, he's the rock that you're secure on in your life and your eternity and your, you know, eternal salvation, or he's the rock that you stumble over. He's the rock of offense. Okay, and so he's going to be the one who judges, did you receive me or not? And he's going to separate the sheep from the goats, you know, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to, he's the one who, he's, all judgment's been given to the son so that all who honor the son, even as they honor the father, that's the purpose of it, that all would honor the son, even as they honor the father. And Jesus himself is saying this. So again, if it's true, it's amazing news that you, you know, got to grab hold of and live, you know, like believe and, and honor, or it's blasphemy. Like there's no getting around it. When Jesus says, when Jesus says that somebody's going to honor um, him as they honor the Father, there's no getting around that reality of his claim to deity. When people say, well, you know, a lot of times people say, well, I mean, Jesus didn't really claim to be God. Well, so honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And what, folks, what this, 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 that verse, what Jesus says, and be really clear, what Jesus says is a major blow to pluralism. 
Because people will say, you know, as long as you believe in God, like a God, any God, and you're sincere in that belief, like you'll be okay, right? But Jesus says, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Like, you cannot honor God in totality if you do not honor Jesus. It's not possible. And you have to honor him to the same level. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. And if there's anything that's clear throughout the entire book of John, from chapter 1 to 21, like the, I mean, the whole, the whole book is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but has everlasting life. Like that's, I mean, that's the heartbeat of the book. And if you read the end of the book with Thomas, you know, these things, um, and, and after that story, Thomas says, you know, these things are written that you might believe. Right? These things are written that you might believe. That you would have life in his name. Go back again to John for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But then it says, and this is condemnation. What's the condemnation? You know, well, sorry, let me back a little bit before that. 18 is, he who believes is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the begotten Son of God. All comes back to Jesus. It all always comes back to Jesus. So the reality is, you know, people, people in this world are on a trajectory up without Jesus, and it's toward an eternal separation from God. Like that's where people are headed. And unless they have an encounter with Jesus, that's the road they continue on. And the scripture even tells us that in former times, God you know, overlooked man's ignorance, but now commands everyone everywhere to repent. So, you know, here in, in the last, especially, you know, month or so, People are all worried about coronavirus. The world is, uh, you know, stopped by this coronavirus. I have a cousin who works for the company of 100,000 employees, international company, 100,000 employees. No non, like, vital, vital travel. Like, you have to have permission for vital, vital travel. I mean, this is a company that's sending thousands of people around the world every day. No, nothing but vital, vital travel. The world's coming to a stop. You look at the map of pollution in China, pre-coronavirus and today, and like the skies are clear because people, people's factories are shut down, their, their cars aren't moving, they're in their homes, 
No non-essential movement. Apparently, if you just want to make, like, heal the earth, you just have a coronavirus for a little while. That's a whole other... That's a whole other mess. Okay, we're not getting into all that. Time out. Time out on that. But listen, we're talking about something... We're talking about something that could be damaging to a lot of people. Currently has, you know, killed a, some people, a few people, you know, relatively speaking in terms of the total people on the planet, very, very few. And I'm not talking about the world, folks, but what if, what if the church took sin just like a small percentage as seriously as the world is taking the coronavirus right now? Because, you know, we've got coronavirus, and so every government, every place, like everybody is like, we got to do something. You know, we got to have preparations. We've got to send these doctors, these places, these scientists. You work on this thing. We'll work on this thing. Like everybody's at work. And I'm not saying they shouldn't be. Don't misunderstand my point. My point is that's for the coronavirus. And followers of Jesus need to remember, you know, when we look at the world, there's a deadly disease called sin that's, that isn't just killing physical bodies, but causes eternal separation from God, like forever and ever. And that's like, that's, that's, a, that's a forever thing. And there are a whole lot more people dying every day without Jesus than probably that this, even like a worst case scenario, that this coronavirus is going to get to. So people freaked out. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, don't be, don't be up, you know, so, I mean, again, pay attention, and, and we all need to take reasonable precautions, and like, you should wash your hands anyway, no matter what. Like, all of that sort of stuff. All that sort of stuff, right? But, what about on the spiritual side? Do we need everybody that like doesn't have a Jesus like doesn't have Jesus if they were walking around like you know with a mask on and like you know covered up like would we go and talk to them then if we saw them in the condition like would we try and help them then if we saw them in the condition that they were in and we're just walking past people every day headed to hell and we're kind of like okay on to my next thing. And it's, this is, this is the thing about it. The coronavirus has everybody's attention because it's new and it's different and we don't know what's going to happen. Sin's just been around for a long time. People going to lost eternity without Jesus for a long time, that's common. And so we're like, eh, that's what happens. And I'm just saying, that's, I mean, our thinking about that, if you, like, our logic, like, if we're just going to sit down there, like, logically, like, write it out, that's crazy. Like, as far as of Jesus, as a whole, not individually you, I'm not talking about you, I'm, in totality, have we just lost our minds? About, like, what Jesus has said 
And his command, like there's a reason his command is to go into all the world and make disciples of all the people groups. Is because this is a global disease. You talk about pandemic. Sin is pandemic. It's the ultimate pandemic. And it's the ultimate disease that kills not just the body, but spirit and soul in hell, eternity, period. And yet we, myself included, can often be so nonchalant about that. Perhaps because it's hard to function if you think about it like it really is. And you think about it on a global scale, but my encouragement today is, just like most of us don't have the calling, skills, capabilities, everything else, like to go to you know, China and directly tackle coronavirus, and so you're, you're somewhat crippled there. We can feel crippled as followers of Jesus. Well, I, I don't have these gifts or this, that, and the other thing. Folks, let's not overcomplicate it. Let's just start with the people that were around. Like, start with the people who are already in your life. Start there and move out, right? Don't leave them behind. Just start, you know, start there and, then, and just keep going and keep being obedient. And, and that's what I want to go back to the, I want to go back to the official's son in chapter 4. And Jesus said, go. Go, you know, your son's healed. And he, you know, he was obedient. He was under authority. And he just went and did what he was supposed to do. Okay, and then that was it. And think how much freedom came from that. Think how much freedom came from that for him in his life. He just needed to, that, that day, he just needed to be obedient to that one thing. And so while pandemic, sin pandemic, and the whole world and billions of people is like too much to handle, it just is. It's too much for any of us to handle. Being under the authority of Jesus and doing what he says to do today and waking up tomorrow morning and going, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? That's not too much to handle. And when we are obedient in that, we can have peace that we have done our part and we've done what the Lord wanted us to do in the bigger global mission. I've done my part today. Now think if you had a string of days. We got five days, 10 days, 20 days, 50 days, 100 days, where you know most of those days, the vast majority of days, you, you can go to bed at night saying, today I did what I was supposed to do, my part in the mission of God, addressing this pandemic. Like there's peace and joy and comfort that comes from that. But if on the flip side of it, we shouldn't have peace and joy and everything in this pandemic, if they, you know, if most of our days, if we're honest at the end of the day, we, we didn't go when he said go and we didn't do what he said do and we didn't pray and we didn't love on people, then of course we shouldn't feel good about that because it's a real pandemic and people, they're real people in need.
So in the heaviness of that, my encouragement is don't be crippled. Just be obedient to what we have to do today. And tomorrow, be obedient to what I have to do tomorrow. And just string those. And that's it. That's it. That's your part. That's, our, that's my part. That's your part. And there is peace in doing our part. There's joy in doing our part. Okay? But we need to understand God and all of it. And I just encourage you if, you know, again, as I think the scripture would encourage us to do, we take, we take reasonable precautions unless God tells us to do something unreasonable. Sometimes God tells us to do something things that are unreasonable, and that's okay. Just go ahead and do that too. Here's the deal. And again, I'm not, I, we do not, in all this passage and in all of our statements here, we don't minimize the suffering that people go through day by day by day. But we do understand this, that it is, it is temporary. It is temporary. And there's an eternity with Jesus without pain and sin and death and all the troubles of this world. There is that eternity for those who are in Christ. Anything here, it's a, there are heavy blows. Thank God they're temporary. And peace and joy are permanent. But even in the midst of those heavy blows, we have one basic call. And that's simply to obey. The scripture is clear on that from, from the very beginning in Genesis all the way to the end. Simple obedience. It's what God desires from his people. That's it. Simple obedience. Simple obedience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, thank, we are thankful that whatever is happening in our world, Lord, you are God. And that we have our hope and our trust in you. And that ultimately, our hope is beyond the things of this world. And in, they're in your kingdom. And so help us to lay up our treasures there and to have our hearts there so that we will live accordingly here and now. We ask it in your name, Jesus. And Jesus, we remember you this morning as the one who gives life and eternal life and that it is found in faith in you because of what you did at the cross and how you changed everything through your death and resurrection. And as we take the bread and this cup and the cup this morning, we give you thanks and we proclaim that you are God. You are Savior and you are King and we praise your holy name this morning.
In your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.